There's this movie that came out recently called Free Solo. Has anyone seen the, the previews for this? Has anyone seen this? Won a bunch of awards lately called Free Solo. The, the gist of it, the story of it, is this guy who climbed the rock face. It's this iconic rock face in uh, Yosemite National Park. It's called El Capitan. It's like on the, it's the screensaver for like all of the MacBooks nowadays. Um, but it's this huge 3,000-foot vertical, straight-up, basically, rock face. And they made a movie out of this guy climbing this rock face. They have like videographers that were going up alongside him, filming him the whole way. And here's the catch, though. He did it. He climbed it free solo, which in climbing terms means no safety equipment, no harnesses, nothing. 3,000 feet up. Dude only has chalk on his hands and cool shoes. That's about it. Takes him two years to prepare for it. He's going up every day, up and down with equipment, with teams and stuff, just practicing it. Basically memorizes every step along the way so that the eventual ascent, which is takes him four hours to go up this thing. Non-stop climbing, unbelievable uh, accomplishment. This is referred to, people have talked about this, as like this is one of the greatest athletic achievements in human history, that this guy did it. Pretty, pretty incredible. He's known as the world's foremost rock climbing authority. Now imagine this. Imagine you're one of the videographers who's climbing up alongside. His name is Alex, Alex Warnerbrook. Imagine you're climbing up alongside Alex. You've got your video equipment. You're there to just make Alex look good and try to get as many shots as you can, get the angles and all that kind of stuff. You're going up. About halfway through, 1,500 feet up, you're 150 stories in the, in the air on this vertical rock face. And Alex says, dude, dude, hey, I'm gassed. I need a little bit of a break real quick. Can we swap off just real quick? I'm going to, I'm going to clip in. You unclip. Just hang on to the rock while I'm holding here and here. Just do it for 15 minutes. And then we'll swap back off. What would you be thinking? I would be thinking, I'm going to die. This is it. This is how I'm going to die. Hopefully the cameras are not rolling while I, while I die. I would be thinking, I'm not equipped for this. I'm not the world's foremost climber. I'm not qualified. That is basically how I feel in talking about fasting. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the rock face right now. I'm like not equipped, not qualified to be talking about this. This isn't like false humility either where like secretly I've been fasting every Thursday for the last 10 years and no one's ever known. No, I'm truly not, not good at this. This past week, this past uh, Sunday, in preparation for this sermon, I thought, you know what? I'm talking about fasting. I'm preaching on fasting. I'm going to fast Monday through Friday. Um, I'm going to sub out some meals. I'm going to replace this time with prayer and devotion. Just really kind of center my heart. And I am not good at this. I, I failed miserably multiple times, um, horribly. So I am met kind of with my, my own in, insufficiency here. I was thinking my, my hunger, or my, my will, my discipline, my hunger for God is weak. I was really thinking those things this past week. But here's kind of the silver lining and something that gave me a little bit of hope. is I was thinking that thought, that thought of my hunger for God is weak. Or I know that I'm not hungry for God in the way that, that I'm made to, in the way that I'm called to. That thought doesn't enter my mind if I'm not fasting, or at least even trying to fast. So, got a little bit of hope there that, hey, even in my failing the assignment, even in failing, I was reminded of my, my need for God's presence and His work in my life. It's a profoundly humbling thing 
to teach on something that you don't feel qualified to teach on. So listen, I am learning with you. I'm alongside of you. I have thought a great deal about the subject. Um, I've read uh, books on fasting. I spent kind of a long, some, some time in college just kind of looking at the practice of fasting. I was surrounded by brothers who fasted regularly. Um, kind of looked at the role that fasting has played in the life and history of the church. I've thought about it a lot, and I'm only just now really um, kind of tiptoeing into, into this subject and actually practicing some of the discipline. So hear me that I'm excited to do this along, alongside you guys. I'm excited to do this with you as a church. At the beginning of the year, um, the, we kind of got together and mapped out some of the things that we wanted to do as a church together um, in 2019. This 40-day fast that we kind of introduced last Sunday that we talked about and spent Sunday school talking about, this 40-day fast is one of those things that we really wanted to do this year as a church. Um, This season in the life and in the history of the church has been a pretty formative season, the season leading up to Easter. Um, Typically, the 40 days leading up to the Thursday of Holy Week has been historically referred to as the season of Lent. So... There can be a lot of kind of baggage with that terminology, so we're going to kind of just steer clear of that and just say this is going to be a 40-day fast that we're doing together as a church. Before we get into it, though, I just want to, I want to pray over us and um, as we're kind of thinking through the subject and um, seeing what the scriptures have to say about fasting in general and kind of seeing what uh, the role that fasting has played in the lives of uh, some of the saints who have gone before us. So I'm going to pray over us uh, and then we'll get into it. Father, I pray that you give us um, eyes to see and ears to hear, um, that you can enable us to, to better hunger after you. Um, I pray that you uh, help us to anticipate your return, and I, help us, I pray that you uh, allow us to prepare our hearts for mission as we fast and as we um, give up these good things that you've given to us in order to express this need for something greater. As he sings in the name of your son, Jesus, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so our life's goal is to know God. And each week we do this, um, hopefully by just kind of opening up the scriptures and just methodically going through God's word. And just kind of going verse by verse, slowly, methodically, do a deep dive. Kind of pull out the magnifying glass and microscope and look at um, the passages. And believe me, that is my favorite way to study Scripture. That is the way that I feel like should be the most consistent method of of walking through God's Word as a a church congregation. I feel like that is the best way for us to do that. However, with that being said, sometimes it's helpful to kind of back up, get out the wide-angle lens, and look at all of, um, or look at a particular topic and look at it through the lens of kind of the whole counsel of Scripture. What do a lot of different verses say about this particular topic? So today we're doing that on fasting as we're about to go into this, this season of fasting together as a church. So as we, talk, as we uh, tackle the topic of fasting and as we prepare to enter into this time of church together, there are three main reasons. I want to cover three main reasons why we fast. And my, my hope is that these three reasons that you and that I, that we as we are kind of moving through this time together as a church, that we kind of keep coming back to these three reasons as kind of home base for why we're doing what we're doing. So we're all on the same page and so that we can get the most out of this discipline. Before I even get into that, that though, we got to cover the basics. What is fasting? What is fasting? 
This is the definition we're going with. Fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is good in order to express a need for something greater. It's a temporary renunciation of something that is good in order to express a need for something greater. So, for example, we're going to give up food. It's something that's good. Food is good. And we're going to give it up because though we need food, we need something more than food. We have a greater need, namely God and his work and his presence in our lives. Is fasting commanded? No. There's no express command for for fasting in any of Scripture. Um, We don't see that where the New Testament church or any any of us here are bound to a law on fasting or anything like that. However, we do see example of fasting pretty much throughout all of the council scriptures. We see in the Old Testament a a bunch. We also see it in the New Testament a bunch. So it's not like this thing that is kind of old, old law and kind of passed away. We still see it in the New Testament church quite a bit. There's fasting and praying kind of going hand in hand all the time together. So it seems like there's this understood expectation that God's people, the people of God, are going to be fasting. It's going to be a part of their, their walk and their discipleship. We discussed last week in Sunday school that um, there are a lot of reasons why we might choose to fast. There might be a lot of um, appropriate, re- you know, I guess, reasons or circumstances or events that might happen where fasting is an appropriate response. But we kind of covered all that last week. This week, we're looking at three main reasons. Three reasons why we will be fasting together as a church. One, we fast so that we can hunger for God. We fast so that we can hunger for God. That's the first reason, kind of the foundational reason. Two, we fast to anticipate Christ's return. We fast to anticipate Christ's return. And three, we fast to prepare our hearts for mission. We fast to prepare our hearts for mission. So, one, we do it so we can hunger for God, so we can anticipate Jesus' return. And three, so we can prepare our hearts for mission. We're going to start with this first one. We fast in order to hunger for God. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. If you can turn your Bibles there, we're going to be in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Matthew 6, 6. Through 18. Just a little bit of context. We're, you're opening your Bibles right now to the Sermon on the Mount. You're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to um, disciples and hearers and um, a lot of people alike. And he's talking about um, really this, this law of God. And throughout pretty much all of um, the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's intensifying or, or really kind of revealing what the law is actually getting after. <coughs> Um, this, this whole time, he's going through the law kind of systematically and methodically, and he's saying, hey, you thought that it was about this, but it's actually about this. You thought that this was good enough? Well, God's actually wanting this out of you. So you don't, you don't curse your brother out loud with your lips because God doesn't want you to hate your brother in your heart. Murder happens in the heart way before our hands catch up. About halfway through the sermon, though, Jesus, I mean, he's, he's plugging along. He's kind of leaving no stone unturned. He, just pre, prior to this passage, he's talking about even good things like prayer. He's saying, this is what you think prayer should look like and be like. Well, guess what? Here's what it's actually about. And this is how you should actually pray. And so he's in the middle of this, and then he rolls into fasting, starts talking about fasting. And this is what Jesus says about fasting from Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. And when you fast... 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the main thing that Jesus is focused on, really throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, and particularly here in this passage, is what? It's the heart. That's what, he, that's what he's going after. It's not about the way you look, obviously. It's not about how hungry you are while you're fasting. It's not about how long you've been doing, how many days you've gone without eating or drinking or whatever it is. It's not about those details. What Jesus is after and what he's calling for is a heart focus on God. In fact, he seems to kind of go out of his way and says, hey, this is not about you know, doing this so other people can see you. He seems to say, go out of your way to conceal it. Actually, make sure that nobody else even knows that you're fasting is kind of what he seems to be indicating there. What he's wanting is a radical God-word focus as we're fasting. If we let fasting be about setting goals and you know, physical goals and uh, comparison to others, then we're going to completely miss it. He's going to completely miss it. Jesus tells us so that when we fast, and if we do it with this radical Godward focus, and it's a transaction between us and him, then there is a reward. So what is the reward? I can't speak comprehensively to that. um, But I can tell you that at the very least, and it seems like the greatest reward you can have, is that when you fast and you do it with a radical Godward focus, you will experience God. The absence of food and the physical hunger that it stirs up inside of you, that's where you can begin to wrestle with God a little bit. We endure the hunger and we meet God in those moments and we remind ourselves that, hey, bread and water is not going to satisfy the hunger that our soul has. Bread and water is not going to quench that thirsty spirit. We're going to heighten our awareness of our need for God and we're going to do that by giving our stomachs a microphone for a second. And our stomach is going to say, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And we're going to realize mentally that we're just, the stomach is really just kind of a stand-in right now for our spirit. Because our spirit all along has been saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And the soul knows, the soul knows much better than the stomach does, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew Henry has this quote. He says, fasting serves to put an edge on devout affections. Fasting serves to put this edge on devout affections. It kind of sharpens what your spirit is wanting. That quote made me think of um, this book by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits, uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You heard of this one? It's a good, it's a good work. Um, one of the chapters in there, or one of the habits of a highly effective person, is that they sharpen the axe. They sharpen the axe. Now here, this is the illustration he uses basically. You've got a lumberjack who's going out every single day and he's chopping wood. He's jacked, he's strong, he's fit, he's got a good work ethic, he's disciplined, he's out there every day. But he's doing it with a dull axe. And so he's working hard, but he's only getting so far. He's just not doing as much as he could do. The highly effective lumberjack every morning before he does anything else is sharpening his axe. He's sharpening his axe. So he goes out, same work ethic, same, same build, same physique, and he does twice as much because he's taken the time to sharpen the axe. In my mind, fasting is like sharpening the, the axe of your spiritual life. If you want to read God's word, fast and read God's word, and you'll do it with more 
focus and more clarity. If you want to pray and you want to meet God in that, in that prayer life, fast and pray. And you're going to fast with more intensity. It's something that, sh- that serves to kind of sharpen the edge of those, of those devout affections. We're going to use the, the temporary renunciation of something good, food. We're going to use that to express that Jesus is better than food. And he is what we hunger for. We choose to hunger from food so that we can then hunger for God. If we neglect food, there is going to be physical, visible consequences to neglecting food. What happens? You shrivel up and you die. And it's, it's hard to look at. I think of the, you know, like the Holocaust victims in World War II. We've, we've all seen those images. You have these people that are, they are alive, but barely you know, they are starving to death. You can see their ribs, their cheeks are, you know, kind of, their, their cheekbones are showing, their eyes are sunken in, their, their hair is falling out. If you do not eat food, you will die. So it is with Jesus and the spiritual nourishment that we need. If we do not have him, we will die. The key difference, though, is that we can't always see that. We can't always see the effects of what we're doing spiritually. So what we end up having is we've got a lot of churches, a lot of people walking around, and everything kind of looks healthy. But inwardly, their spirit is wasting away. Their inner spirit's ribs are showing. Their cheeks are, are you know, sunken in. Their eyes are, are got that ghostly look in there. Hair's falling out. That's what we see a lot of times. But unfortunately, we can't always see it. And so these, these things go untreated. We might be feeling it, but not everybody can see it. So we go untreated. Ironically, though, one of the ways that we can treat it is by fasting from physical food, actual food, so that we can kind of increase this awareness, that we can heighten our awareness of the spiritual reality that is going on right now. We are hungry. Our soul is hungry, and he needs to be satisfied. And the only thing that can satisfy is the river that flows. David Mathis says, he has this quote, that burn in your gut, that rolling fire in your belly, demanding that you feed it more food, that signals game time for fasting as a means of grace. Only as we voluntarily embrace the pain of an empty stomach do we see how much we've allowed our belly to be our God. And in that gnawing ache of growing hunger is the engine of fasting that's generating the reminder to bend our longings for food Godward and then inspire intensified longings for Jesus. We fast first and foremost. The main reason why we fast is so that we can hunger for God. That's the first reason. We fast first and foremost so that we can hunger for God. The second reason why we fast is to anticipate Christ's return. We fast to anticipate Christ's return. Now we'll turn in our Bibles to Luke 5, 33 through 35. Luke 5, 33 through 35. An interesting passage. Some people approached Jesus and they said to him, Hear the word of the Lord. The disciples of John fast often, and they offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. This is the word of the Lord. Now Jesus says that his disciples, they're not going to fast while they're with them. While the groom's there, the wedding party's going to party. That's, that's, what, that's what you do. 
But there is, a, there is a time, and Jesus knew that there is a time that would come, and we are now in that time where the, the groom has gone away. And now we fast in anticipation and in longing for his return. So that's the connection between our Christian fasting now and anticipating Christ's return. Just like Jesus says, this passage is indicating that our fasting now is this uh, kind of this representation of our aching, our longing for Jesus to come back. Here's the... What's unique, I guess, about Christian fasting over and against other, other fasting in the world. Christians fast not just for the presence of something, for aching and hungering for something that is to come. We fast because we've tasted it before. We've experienced it before. Jesus has already come. He has already lived his life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's ascended into heaven and he said that he's coming back for us. So we fast now, not just hoping that this thing, that we might be able to taste him. We fast because we have tasted him and we wanted him back. We want him again. The bridegroom, the king has already been here. We've known him, we've tasted him, we've seen him and we love him. We've already tasted the kingship of Jesus. For my parents' anniversary... We all went down to Nashville to this uh, steakhouse called Cane Prime. Uh, it's it's an incredible steakhouse. It's in the top 30 of American steakhouses. Also, I realized the irony of using a steakhouse illustration in a sermon about fasting. Um, but I do, I mean, I, I said I have a problem. True. So anyways, my sister had talked this place up really good. Um, and so all day, I am abstaining from food, and I'm <laughs> clarifying, I'm not fasting from food, I'm just not eating so that I can stuff my face later, um, and I'm doing it because she's talked it up, and she says it's good, so when we get there, this steak, it's so good, it is so good, now, now that I've tasted it, I cannot wait to go back there and taste it again, um, this time though, I won't eat leading up to it, and it's not going to feel like a sacrifice, because I know what is coming, I've, I've tasted it and I've seen the goodness of Cane Prime Wagyu Filet. And it's delicious. Christian fasting in anticipation is not just merely hoping and longing and aching for something that we don't know about. We've tasted it. God has already given us a taste of that and promising us salvation. We've been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. So we've, we're indwelled if we've trusted in Him. We're indwelled by the Spirit. So we've kind of tasted of that. But we want more. We want Him full kingship. The day of consummation where he's going to come to rule and reign over everything. The, the verse of the, the song tonight. And all will be made right when you appear. We've, our, our hunger is unique in that it's rooted. It's a rooted hunger in the experienced Christ in history. In reality. We fast in anticipation of Christ's return. That's what Jesus' disciples do. So we fast in order to hunger for God, and we fast in order to anticipate Jesus' return. Third reason, we fast to prepare our hearts for mission. Turn again in your Bibles to Acts 13, 1 through 3. Last passage for today, Acts 13, 1 through 3. We land to a spot in Acts where the church is growing, it's thriving, it's moving. Um, daily, people are being added to their number. So they're kind of at an interesting point in the history of the church. 
Hear this from Acts 13, 1 through 3, the word of the Lord. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the leaders of the church in Acts, they are praying and they're fasting and they're worshiping and they're saying, God, things are clearly going well. The church is growing. It's exploding right now. Um, things are good. We don't know what to do next. We need clarity. We need guidance. We need your divine intervention to tell us where, what are the next steps from here. And so they, during this time, they fast as they're doing that. As they're asking the Spirit, what is next? And the Spirit of God responds in a big way. Send me Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, Paul and Barnabas. Pretty big deal in you know, the history of the church. The greatest missionary team of all time. God, I think, has called us to a mission as well. And I trust that as we are setting aside our, ourselves, as we're preparing our hearts for mission, as we fast and as we pray and as we call on God, we say, what next? You're doing the work. What next? I trust that God is going to answer us just like he answered the church back in Acts because he's faithful and he's consistent and he does the same thing. So we ask him, guide our steps. He will guide our steps. We ask for wisdom. He gives it liberally. God has called us to a mission. Very, very generally, he's called each of us to this great commission of sharing Jesus. So, when, I mean, we've we got to ask ourselves, we've got to do some honest introspection. When was the last time we shared Jesus? And I don't mean just like had a conversation with somebody. I mean, we shared Jesus with somebody who is not a believer, and we told them how to be saved through Jesus. We gotta be doing this. And if you're thinking, man, I would love to do that. I want the opportunity to do that. I like God guide my steps. I just don't even know where to start. Start with fasting. Prepare your heart for mission. That's what we're that's what we're doing here. <laughs> Beyond that, that very general call in mission, though, there is a specific call on, on your life. I have a specific call on my life that's different from Pam's, it's different from Tim's, it's different from Dad's and Sam's. We all have this unique, specific calling that's, that's on our life that we have been gifted and qualified and equipped for perfectly. Some of the, sometimes those gifts and qualifications, they might overlap. Sometimes they might. They might not. There are things Mary can do that I cannot do and vice versa. But as we're seeking the Lord, as we're seeking the Lord and trying to figure out what do, we, what do I do individually and what do we do as a church, what are our next steps, I'm asking that during this time, that as we fast together, that this will be... On your prayer list, things that we're praying for. God, guide my steps individually in my life. Bring people into my path. Give me courage to proclaim the gospel with boldness as I'm supposed to. And guide the, guide the leadership in our church. Guide the steps of black men. As we are trying to figure out what our mission is that's unique and that's individual from other churches. We're, we're all kind of here doing the same general mission. But there are specific things that, that black men is called to that... Uh, the, you know, the church down the street, the other, the black men, the, the other churches, I can't remember the name of that church, New Vision or World Outreach. They're obviously called to, the, I mean, anyways. Um, I was not supposed to be a comment on anything. Um, 
So as we, as we do this, as we pray, and as we fast, I am asking just very practically that we do pray for our elders, for the pastors, for, for leadership, and for direction on you know, what's next as we're trying to seek Him. And I'm confident, I believe, that if we are doing this with this radical Godward focus, as we're preparing our hearts for mission, as we are anticipating Christ's return, and we're seeking Him, and we're asking for His guidance, I'm confident that He's going to answer.